my gosh. Hi, welcome to Lucy and Corey's Anti-Power Hour. Welcome, welcome. This is a new, relaxed non-servium. Uh, Very relaxed. Yeah, yeah. It's so relaxed yeah. that that's the intro. That's all it is. You know my favorite thing about us is that and this show and the precedent we're setting is wow. that we, we, we're very diligent and timely. We don't take forever to finally meet <laughs> up and record ourselves talking. We, we're just on top of it as soon as, as, soon as it, the opportunity arises. Uh, but we will be now because our entire personality has changed. And now we'll be prompt and organized. Yeah, That's my personality true. changed. Yeah, me too. Just, the second you click record, it was like... <laughs> Uh, well, I'm a show host. Well, um, so yeah, what? Am I a co-host? Oh yeah, of course you. And there are no okay, guests good. because we don't good. like them. Yeah, no guests. I no. guess that's what it is. Uh, so we were just talking about you were just ranting about YouTube ads about elections. Um, oh yeah, yeah, elections are coming up, and I and uh, I don't know much more than that, but they're coming up. And I'm being barraged by Ron DeSantis ads on YouTube, just endless Ron DeSantis ads. Um, most of them making his opponent, Charlie Crist, out to be a fantastic left libertarian anarchist. Uh, I'm sure he is in reality, those things. Um, yeah, I forgot how perfect uh, Democrats sound when Republicans are talking very, shit about them in ads. It's like, open wow, borders, what a guy. I know. Police. <laughs> Uh, imagination. Imagination candidates are great. They're yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, I never vote, but sometimes they make me, you know, <laughs> it, it tricks me. And I'm like, oh, here, he's getting me to vote for his opponent. Do you never vote? Have no, I've ever, never I mean, voted. You've never voted? <clears throat> no. D dude, you're, you, I didn't realize you had such pure anarchist cred. Because... <laughs> I have so, so much anarchist cred. Did you not know this? Did you look the not realize? I knew you had a lot, but not ever voting. You beat me, definitely. And I used to get real frustrated by people voting for Democrats. And my terrible secret is that I am really, really scared of Doug Mastriano. And I almost want to vote for Josh Shapiro, who sucks and is mediocre in every way. Like they can't even spin him as some radical because he's like, I love the police. But I don't know, man. I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with voting. I just it's never there particularly might be. That's the excited. <laughs> there might be. Yeah. Well, if it distracts from maybe more fundamental things or uh, people aren't aware, like, you know, fall into like defending all of the flaws and vices of the person they vote for. But you can vote in defense in a way. I don't. I don't. I don't bash it. I mean, I'm kind of thinking of doing that, and I feel like I could make a defense of it being defensive. But like, I can't even decide in my mind whether voting is speech or aggression or both or neither or what. You know. I definitely don't think it's aggression. I don't like the libertarian arguments that it's aggression. That's but you wild. never vote. You've never That's voted. Wild. But just not because of that reason. There's other other reasons not to vote. If I'm busy that day. Um, <laughs> that's that's a very Catherine Mankey Ward of reason argument, which I think is a little bit funny. It's a very reasonable argument. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, 
But why isn't it aggression, though? I mean, not direct, nah. per se, but it's... It's well. It is a minuscule effect on everything. I don't. So I don't see how you're not you're not engaged in violence against someone else. I don't. I but don't. But you're think... endorsing someone who's going to, in most cases, who's yeah. going to do violence. Yeah, uh, that's that's true. But that's not violence. I mean, itself endorsing someone who, um, you know, and you might endorse other aspects of them the the nonviolent aspects if, or if, if if those exist like if uh, if, they, if if they really do want to open the borders well okay then that's not that doesn't that, seem likely i mean that's true though like i mean then you just come to it can come down to like what if someone is 82% amazing and so you vote for them but there's like you know 10% where they're horrible on something i mean does it all come down to like percentages and numbers? I don't even know. No, I, no, but I think we're corralled into this system. I don't, so I don't blame anyone for voting. Just like I don't blame anyone for, um, for for taking certain subsidies, say from government. I mean, we all do that in some way. We drive on the roads. We use. We, it's unavoidable to use public infrastructure and other things. We just think there's better alternatives to this system. But like, we're all in some way forced to live under it. Definitely forced, but voting to me seems more of a choice not the fact yeah not the end result isn't a choice but to engage in it at all is a choice no right it seems a little more uh i guess optional than like having to use a road to get to and your a, job that is how you make a living or something yeah um, like a symbolic endorsement even which yeah i don't know very uncomfortable but, uh, is that that different from saying that there is like I've, I, I definitely preferred the Democrats to Trump most recently. That was uh, that was kind of an endorsement. I didn't vote <laughs> for them. Uh, but that's like making a vocal, you know, acknowledgement of like one of them being preferred. Right. I don't know. But I'm not involved in any of the aggression. I'm not. That, that's the people who that's the police and the Border Patrol and the prison guards. Those are the people involved in the aggression. I. So I. I I don't know. So if you want to like... vote, you can vote. It's fine. We can keep it a secret if you want. No one has to know. <laughs> people watching this. Well, we'll see. I mean, I might be in Canada at the time, like some sort of communist. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know though. It's yeah, just yeah. that, like, if nobody voted, no one would win. And we'd all. No, be I do. Not really. Yeah, I kind of like. Uh, we. I think we should withdraw our support from the system. I. I agree. Um, with that. But I mean, our last talk, the only thing I remember about our last talk is that we talked about January 6th a bit and we defended, especially you, but both of us, certain liberal norms, um, democratic norms, which was very scary to defend them. But I, I guess. Okay, it's better than the alternative that was on the table. And just the fact that I think in America, especially people of our sort of demographic, the stuff that bothers us is institutional kind of stable stuff. And obviously people in a lot of countries, what bothers them is corruption and instability. And like, that's more their daily life. So that's why I'm a moderate anarchist, a moderate right. radical. Moderate radical. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, I think that's a good point. I think it's easy to transplant American centric context um, as if, as if the, there weren't these other institutional problems that um, other countries suffer. Um, 
and I, and I do think it's easy to let radicalism blind you to again like okay we're forced into a system and the options are all terrible by our standards but still one of the options might be better than the other so liberal government is better than monarchical government for instance um and it's strange that that even has to be said cc hoppites apparently my god who hoppites can i get some of the drug you took to forget about hans herman hoppa and his followers because uh, let me let me get a hit of that shit because yeah sure yeah yeah, I thought I when someone paraphrased Hoppe's anti-democracy thing, I was like, "Wow, what an interesting thought experiment." That's a good point. And then I realized later that they actually meant, and that's why we're monarchists slash we want our HOA to be able to kill gay people or something, you know? So like, well, that's Hoppe. the strange thing, though. In a way, those are aren't they? They're two different things, right? Like, they, I think they they think monarchy is the is. Uh, uh, the least bad form of government, but then they say that other system where the HOA run everything and exclude, you know, gay people and communists and everyone else, that's their actual preferred end state. It is. Just, and so that's kind of frightening, but, um, I think that's what people should point out about them more is that not only do they sort of fight for the right for localized tyranny, I'm pretty sure most of them prefer that. That is what yeah. they want. They don't, they just don't want federal tyranny or sometimes large state tyranny, but they want localized power structures. They love them. They love hierarchy. They love all those things. I feel like that is, I mean, they're not our, they're not our friends, are they? Yeah. I think, I think the, the rise of the centralized national state in the past century or two has made people underrate uh, the, the evils of localized tyranny that Absolutely. aren't necessarily better. Um, and it, so it's tough to oppose both and know how to, to navigate that. But it seems like, I mean, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't negate the fact that some people seem to only oppose one half of that, the centralized nation state part, but then because it crowds out the localized tyranny part too bad, the small percentage of people who deny both are drowned I out. Mean Coming from libertarian circles, I feel like I get bogged down in these debates. Like, um, you know, my my my. Oh, you know what? I don't want to. I don't want to call out anyone. Someone I know uh, is very like, "Ooh, COVID stuff was so bad. State by state tyranny." But you know, you should be allowed to decide. States, you know, deciding on abortion stuff is fine. And it's like, why is that fine? I mean, yeah, it's. Or Just like for I selective, selective federalism. Or let's spend all our time like worrying whether the 101st Airborne should have been sent to Little Rock, Arkansas, to desegregate the schools. Like, I think especially as anarchists and radicals, like, you know, these procedural questions, I get bogged down. I used to get bogged down in them more, and I feel like I shouldn't. You know. An executive order from Obama that was protecting people from deportation is good. An yeah. executive order interning the Japanese yeah. by FDR was bad. It's the same yeah. power that shouldn't exist. But this idea that a lot of people I know and respect still are kind of stuck with is that we have some obligation to object to the anti-deportation one because it comes from an overly powerful place. As if we 
pretend those are kind of the same thing just because they're executive orders. I don't know. It's very strange to me. Yeah, like, it's, um, like it's cheating to, to be like, no, the end the end result where people are not aggressed upon is the point, not really the proceed the procedure at all. You know, that's what we should care about. Yeah, um, Lucy, I just got some sort of error. Is everything okay on your end? Oh my god, yes. Okay, it's still recording me. Uh, yes. Okay. We were very scared of uh, our technological. <laughs> the technological gods out. today have been cursing Corey. Um, Cursing. Yeah, I'm cursed. Um, okay, that's good to know. But uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, you, you can make the point that right, the executive order shouldn't exist, or it's a dangerous power. But uh, why? Why would it follow that? Like, if you had that power, why wouldn't you use it for these obviously good aims? Yeah. Um, or that why why you and I shouldn't support it being used for a good aim? I mean. Yeah, it's not a power in the sense of power over someone. It's just a function that we think is dangerous, but in these instances being used to decrease power over people like protecting their deportation. Or like, should we be mad about presidents pardoning people because presidents are too powerful? No, right. you know, it's like, or like, or the last thing on earth, the last thing in government to cut at, if you were cutting the government would be public defenders, I would say, because that's directly a defense against the state, albeit an underfunded, very stressed yeah. out one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, man, Better Call Saul was great. I haven't watched that. I've I've thought about it. I've thought about it too. <laughs> a lot since I've watched it. But that that was good shit. What what have you watched? I mean, I did watch Breaking Bad, so I could certainly step into that to the Better Call Saul world. Um, oh, it's it's very good. It I was uh very skeptical, but I came around and watched it, and, and it really blew me away. I mean, I'm, I think I'm inherently a little skeptical of prequels, it's true, because mm. there's an inherently sort of less interesting thing where you know how it ends, but you can still yes. work with that if you're good. God knows Vince Gilligan has proved that he's good at TV, so. Yes, it really can find, prequels can be confining, and also we've been, we've been wronged by so many a prequel uh, attempt. Or sequels um, to, or say, sequel. for example. Yes. Um, but uh, it's very cool to hate prequels and sequels, but um, prequels and sequels can be really, really fun if they're done right. And so it's, Better Call Saul is a good example of it. Yeah. If it, well, I mean, it is, it is a joy whenever it's done right. It's true. So I have still been watching The Handmaid's Tale, which uh, after Roe vs. Wade was overturned, I was like, am I still going to watch this? And I was like, yeah, I am. Because yeah. my jam is depressing shit like that. It doesn't make me feel better or anything, but it doesn't make me feel worse either, usually. It's just sort of, mm. I just like to vibe and depressing stuff. That's just how it goes. It's, uh, I, I watch a show with, with my wife, Kelly. It can be very sadomasochistic feeling, especially now. We haven't watched the latest season. Is that what we watched uh, up until, I think, the fourth season? So the new one we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, season five. I need to, after this, maybe I should watch the new episode. They're just, I feel like the show's really botching their redemption aspect of um, the character Serena, who is the, you know, the, the woman who helped build this horrible society. Mm. And the actress is so good that, and I think in a lot of the contexts, our, you know, our protagonist was stuck in this situation, so she tried to identify with 
Serena and work with her. But I think the show really doesn't truly understand how culpable this person is because she's a pretty white woman who cries really convincingly. It's very strange. I like to know when a show knows its characters and knows if how bad they are. And I thought right. the show knew. And again, now I'm like, maybe it doesn't. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm not up to date on that. I guess, um, but most of what I remember from the the last season I watched was like this very um, kind of reveling in the revenge. Right, it did end with some serious. I didn't necessarily see it as an endorsement or anything, of, but also like maybe understanding its cathartic power to to see that. I guess. Um, I yeah. I don't know. I, I I'm not sure about the show in terms of moral endorsement. I really enjoy it. It's just wonderful acting, and um, and everything about the production is like so engrossing. So it's very fun for those for those things. I mean, I'm just reminded that I've seen more people. I mean, this is probably just tweets that go by, but like people talking about they're getting tired of villains who get redeemed and and get sloppily redeemed and things. And I feel like this show's sort of going in that way too. And I used to love a villain redemption in real life and in fiction, but you can definitely do that really lazily. I mean, I think the Star Wars sequels did that absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, although the question of the original redemption of Vader, of, if that was done well. Well, that's debatable. I mean, that, but that's fun debatable because I think there's some nuance there. Um, Maggie McNeil on Twitter, random shout out, was, was saying that back in, you know, 1982, which I was not, we weren't alive for, she was bothered by the attempted redemption of Vader. And I always thought maybe not the force ghost part, but you know, Vader is this like broken figure and his last words are like, or near last words. I can't remember. It's been a little while. Or like, tell your sister you were right. And it's delivered very well with the acting. Like, hopefully you were right. You know, I blew up her entire planet. So you probably weren't right, but this wasn't, you know, bad guy did one final thing before he died and tell your sister you were right isn't a declaration that luke was right and that vader was truly redeemable it's just like a, a human hope i don't know well i mean i i don't want my bringing up that uh redemption uh t- to be taken to mean i'm not a fan of it i'm a huge fan of it uh, i love uh the originals and, and return and the redemption scene uh with vader is among my favorite in those movies and probably any movie um now but what is redemption? I mean, what he did did not bring her planet back. It didn't right. bring Obi-Wan back. It didn't right. negate anything he had done. He did something good in his final mm-hmm. moments. And that is what it is. It's something good. It's not what he had been doing all those years. So it doesn't have to negate anything. That's not possible. I mean, that's not what redemption can ever be. Um, acknowledging that he did something bad and then choosing insofar as you can. He, he did. And so that's why it's compelling, I think. I mean, we're, we're, we're at the at stakes that a dark, like a Vader figure is doing evil. You're like, it, it is, it's, you cannot redeem that. I mean, you know, Hitler, Stalin, whomever, like they're, they're about to die and they save their son. Actually, Stalin to- didn't save his son when he was 
a POW. That was the whole thing. Um, and obviously, in real world morality, that doesn't do anything or much of much of anything at all. But you know, I think the exaggerated nature in a um, in a movie is okay. It didn't work in the sequels when presumably Kylo Ren is responsible now for like scores of billions of people dying, not just maybe scores of millions. I mean, the numbers are are so yeah, high. Yeah, definitely the numbers. Because I too agree. hard, it really becomes insane. So, yeah, I, I I agree about the kind of the exact the hyperbolic nature of these scenarios. Like that's the whole point of fantasy um, to heighten these things through melodrama. Um, but at least for me, it, it it was it's always been compelling in the originals with the way it's played with Vader, and it feels less heroic and more of this desperate last ditch effort whereas with the new movies redeeming kylo it was very strange and didn't work for me um, no. nothing in that movie worked for me no <laughs> except for when wedge and tilly's was there for one second i was like oh sweet <laughs> that was all that was literally all uh yeah yeah but i've heard great things about andor i haven't uh i haven't had the pleasure yet one of our non-Serbian people was just asking if I, if any of us were watching and I said no, but he was selling it. So I might check it out in part because it's not, I mean, I, I always liked Boba Fett as much as the next gal, but I was less inclined to watch that. But like a gritty Star Wars, like what I hoped Rogue One would be and it got partway there, I, I would still be into that. And I do enjoy yeah. The Mandalorian because how can you not? I haven't watched that either. Really? No. I know I'm like years behind on that. We the only show for Star Wars that we've gotten into was Obi Wan. Uh, yeah. you know, just which had its flaws, but Ewan McGregor uh, is so fantastic and that's the main reason we probably watched that one uh, so far. And that so that's fun. Yeah, I don't know if I'll get to that either. I just um the Mandalorian oh, no, we I have watched the different Star Wars shows. <laughs> that's not... true. Mandalorian was so disconnected, at least initially, from anything else. And it had those delightful tropes that made the original Star Wars so good, where it's like classic, like archetype archetypes. Right. Um, yeah. No, Obi Wan more. Yeah. I feel like bridges, or at least attempts to bridge the prequels and the sequels in some ways in terms of their tone. It's more Shakespearean, like the prequels, mm. and, and and has and you know develops more of the lore uh, to the central to the main storyline, obviously with Obi Wan and Anakin. Um, but I thought it did it in a fun way, actually. And I don't like the prequels, but I like Boone McGregor and, and Obi-Wan had some great scenes. I'd be curious, I, what do you think of it as a fan of A New Hope so much? Yeah. There you are. I mean, I'm a, I, I love all of them, but I feel like for a while there, A New Hope is getting really underrated. And every time I watch it, I'm like, God, this movie's perfect, isn't it? It's been, It's almost perfect. And the pacing is weirdly adult and sort of slow and deliberate. The editing is perfect perfect i just i really do love that movie so much i, I, do, I do love it I, I agree with you yeah it's actually been too long since i watched return of the jedi in particular but um i actually like the prequels a tiny bit now i mean they're a disaster tiny bit but they are better than the sequels all of the sequels to me because the sequels are weird nostalgia bait committee crafted things and the prequels are one guy's vision and for and that includes all of the flaws that that implies, but they are like they're a there's someone's vision in a movie, and especially you know in 
and like these days like that's not that common anymore we're getting more and more sort of committee made art so even disaster art has its charms i think that's why i'm really forgiving of movies that people hated like um don't look up things like that where i'm like it's kind of sci-fi that's not it's not a committee and stuff and you know like good good effort people if nothing else like good try Sure, I, I agree. The prequels are more interesting in, um, because they have such a definitive vision, um, for sure. Revenge of the Sith it has its moments. I'm more tolerant of melodrama than I was as a teenager when that movie came out, which is why mm. I, I now like the movie The Rock, too. Like I was too, I was like too embarrassed by melodrama. Now I'm like, all right, if we're oh, doing this, let's I, do it right. It's a melodrama. I love sincere genuine films that are not undercutting themselves with a joke every two seconds that's yeah too much of that now and i love the mcu uh but it uh most of it but it often retreats to that and it's so too much annoying. so definitely so it, those movies often frustrate me because they are several steps below what they could be pretty easily and they could be something really good because I mean, comic books, yeah, they're they're totally everywhere now, and it's exhausting, but they are this very American thing and this very mythic thing. Every time I talk about this, I just think about Jordan Peterson now, which makes me so mad, because fuck that guy. Because of the mythology? Ruining arch archetypes and myths. I'll just think about Daniel Jackson and Stargate instead. Maybe that'll help a little. Um, I, I think... Uh, uh... Because they just announced uh, now James Gunn and this other producer in charge of DC Studios. Did you see that? So I hope that yes, sort of continues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they announced like uh, as like the Kevin Feige role. Mm -hmm. These two over DC movies. So as, as a as a big fan of of DC and the lore, I hope they can get it together. And and the one thing DC's had going for it that Marvel hasn't is more director-driven, unique films. But they haven't all been very good. Some most of them, of them like, most of them have been bad. I think honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean it depends. I guess we would have to go through them. But but either way, I'm hoping they continue that kind of director-driven feel um, while while trying to do a United Universe as well because I love that. I mean, um, what's his face? Oh my gosh, Henry Cavill. They're giving him another try. Yeah. And without Zack Snyder, I feel bad picking Zack Snyder because like everyone I've ever heard of seems like oh, he's nice. Like what a nice guy. Had a personal tragedy. Joss Whedon, who I prefer, except now his essence has leaked all over into every movie. But like Zack uh -huh. Snyder is not a good movie maker. And he did such a bad job with Superman. And Henry Cavill is like a perfectly like perfect looking man who has like the little, could even have had the little superman curl and everything he's a nerd um he should have been a happy dorkier superman and he could have done it in a different movie and so if they give him that that would be really great because i always come back to captain america and how easily that could have been total a total disaster totally unlikable totally mm. lame and they obviously did such a good job with him. So of course they could do that with Superman. I, I'm still thinking about the phrase, uh, Joss Whedon's essence leaking everywhere. But, um, no, there's so many good points there. Um, we're on the same page. I don't know how they did Captain America in the 21st century. I don't know how they did a sincere, lovable, 
uh, uh, virtuous Captain America and Harvest. And, and Chris that's Evans the, did an awesome job. I mean, I think. Yeah. And that is the lodestar for Superman. I, yeah, I'm with you. Joss sucks as a person, but I really like a lot of his art. Zach seems like a great person, but I dislike. <laughs> so it is. So it is. Damn you! Uh, just why can't my artists and 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 virtue always collide? Uh, I know something. Something Ayn Rand. Um, so <laughs> another example. Um, so Henry, I so I hope Henry Cavill does get a a, a good shot at a more human Superman interpretation. I actually that was the problem. Superman is the only superhero that I can truly say I prefer in comic form. Um, and I don't love the first Christopher Reeve Superman, which is the only one I've seen, which I'm going to remedy. In part because, and this sounds really stupid, the end of it, when Superman <laughs> turns, turns the entire planet backwards to save Lois Lane, and my husband and I have discussed this. I'm like, it's too much. Like, I know, I know everything I've just seen is, 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 is like a lot. But as I say, when I'm making fun of my father being overly critical of movies, it's like, that couldn't happen. Like, which is crazy. But even in a universe like that, you can go too far. And I genuinely think that goes too far. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's also too long. I, I love that movie. I, I love Christopher Reeves' performance. I, I think is really good. I like the choice to turn. He had to do something <laughs> godlike at the end to me. Um, it's so big, though. It's too big to, to save Lois. Um, I love it. Uh, the sequels get worse. If, when you're watching the sequels, don't forget to watch because they released, a, you know, like a in the 2000s, the Richard Donner cut. Mm -hmm. um, which, is a, which is, I like Superman too, but then the cut that they put together, Richard Donner's original footage, which has the Marlon Brando footage because he was cut out of the original sequel because of contract negotiations because okay. he was insane. Um, <laughs> so, so the Richard Donner cut has Brando more, again um, and some different stuff, and it's better. Um, oh, hilariously, my, it includes, yeah. because they had to hodgepodge it together um, years later, and it was, it was never fully filmed. So one scene in there was actually like a test screening between... Um, uh, Margot Kidder as Lois and uh, Christopher Reeve as, Super, as Clark. Um, so they're like their their costuming is like inconsistent with the scene surrounding it. I don't know. That's I'm going on a, a weird rant here, but no, I um, can't picture that working at all. So that's actually really funny. No, it's fine because the actors sell it so much. You just get enthralled. Those two, the actors, their chemistry. I just love the that mm. movie. I it'd be hard for me to see a live action version of Superman top that. I also really like Superman and the Mole Men, which is technically the first feature-length film involving a superhero from the 50s with George Reeves, oh. uh, 50s TV super. That was This was the mo TV movie that launched the show, and it's like it's got this great 50s anti-McCarthyism, kind of anti-racism, too, because the Mole really? Men are like these oppressed that the townsgoers like, are basically prejudiced against and want to do violence against, and Superman's like, Superman, I love it in that one. It's a little more old school Superman where he's not necessarily as warm and Boy Scouty as mm -hmm. Chris Marie's version. Um, he, that's still there, but he also has a quick, he, he doesn't have that much patience for the town goers racism. He's very quick to just be like, you guys are idiots. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of dole out that justice. I'd like to watch that. I mean, yeah, let's, we, I think a lot of us can picture the first Superman comic book cover, which involves Superman I mean, was he just like lifting a car, right? And like, yeah, I think it's famously criminal. not clear what that image is conveying. What he's okay. doing, yeah, because uh, I, I mean, 
I guess I've never read um, the first version of Superman, and I've definitely heard that he's not quite as Boy Scouty, but you know, yes, he's yes. still probably not Zack Snyder's Superman. No, was... no. I mean, that's the thing. He was. I've read some of those early issues. Not a lot of it. There's there's so many Superman comics, but you can definitely see. I mean, he he was a bit more short tempered, um, but Zack Snyder's take was more apathetic and kind of distant, and that's what people found alienating. It was so weird because I would love if it portrayed some people scared of Superman, even while he's, you know, Boy Scout and, and kind because, all right, real world acknowledgement that someone with that power would be scared, intimidating to even know that they're out there. But don't make Superman himself be a dour God figure. That's the, Honestly, the rot of that portrayal of Superman starts with the horrible version of his parents, which yeah. is the whole reason. Well, I think his mom to... is cool. I love. But she's the dad... not great. And maybe she's just... like, she's like, you don't owe anybody anything, Clark. She's not. She's not super fuzzy either. His dad. That's just a train wreck. I mean, don't that save children bad. in a bus. Let me commit suicide in a tornado, even though you could clearly save me. The tornado yeah. makes no sense. The classic heart attack killing his father thing is so much more effective. Oh, it's so upsetting. Uh, yeah, uh, very so strange. Um, <laughs> some of the decisions in that film. So bad. Uh, I really enjoy the Superman and Lois show on the CW. I Oh, you know what? I watched the first episode of that and I immediately was annoyed because it was... They kept talking about like reverse mortgages and like he had annoying teenagers. I was like, who is this for? Like, I don't need oh my like God, a Lucy. What? I don't need like a twenty-year-old Superman, but this is very like I don't know. So, okay, so let me let me let me give you the let me sell you on this show. It's the the reason for the annoying teenagers is because this because we've seen Superman in his early days, and yeah. so this is an older, more wise and Superman who is fundamentally like a family man the most mm -hmm. of the show is about him being a dad and being a husband and Just so to me this is a total Snyder one because he's so human the stories are much more human the balance between his godlike powers and his human social roles are really fascinating and, and explored well um so i think you should give that a second shot and yeah maybe teenagers can be annoyed, i think i should too, probably but yeah i don't love that lois um so I wasn't, I don't know, something about the first, but it was, literally I'm thinking the pilot and pilots are never gonna, you know, so I. Pilots I can be good. They can be, but they're pilots rarely a sign of exactly how it's going to be for the rest of the show. Right. That's so true. That's you true. almost have to watch more just to know what's up. Yeah. Yeah. But I really I, enjoy that show. Um, I, I think if you're looking for a live action Superman that you would like that, that fits the bill. I mean, I've watched a lot of Smallville, so I can't talk. But Smallville has a great Lois and an even better Lex Luthor. So I haven't seen Smallville. I used to watch it with my mom, and she would get so sad that Lex is doomed to be evil because he's the best character by far. He's very multifaceted. And you really believe through most of it that if, if Clark had been honest about, you know, the super-powered incident that initially they meet... Um, that Lex probably wouldn't have turned out to be a supervillain. But there was still that hmm. personality trait where he, you get why he's not trustworthy, you know, fully. Yeah. But he could have been. It's like, you know, it's like Greek tragedy shit. It's like, well, I think that sounds very, very, as someone who hasn't seen it, that sounds very interesting because I love That's love the most the interesting part of that, of that show by far. 
There's well, I think that's 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 cool because they're they're interesting foils in in the idea that Lex in a different world could have been like Superman, could have mm -hmm. been this humanitarian um, who uses his gifts uh, for benevolent ends. Um, so that that show seems to play on that. That's that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of dumb stuff and a woman who who co-founded a sex cult. So you know, it's a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. Well, that's fair. That's my cat. I, mean, I figured it was your cat. That was a very classic meow. Interested in the sex cult. <laughs> uh, that was a Nexium, that thing. Allison Mack from Smallville. It's basically, she was, she used to be known as from Smallville, and now oh. she is known as went to jail for like three years for right. I have, I have heard that. branding women. I thought you were saying in the show. No, sadly. But you were actually saying in your life, sadly. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay. Yeah. Um, wow. Wow. So well, on the topic of horror, it is yes. almost Halloween. I don't know when this uh, episode is going to be released. But... I don't know either, but we can admit that that it's now currently almost Halloween, no matter when someone is watching it. Well, it might be past Halloween when people are watching. That's my. But in our moment, in time, oh, speaking... our our like truth. Yes. <laughs> my truth is that it's almost Halloween. Uh, as wow, mine too. Amazing. But uh, yeah, I've been binging some horror movies um a lot what do you got i'm i'm well i've always been a fan of the halloween movies so we've been actually watching through every fucking halloween movie of That's which there are uh so 13 many. 12 if you discount season of the witch the third one that didn't have michael myers or is not, and is unconnected to everything else um and uh have you seen these well okay first of all what are your thoughts on horror and like do you like the halloween movies slash what horror i have seen the i've seen halloween like the, the original John carpenter the original and that's all oh you should just stop right there just... <laughs> maybe i will no that's unfair because i really <laughs> do like this the franchise yeah. i've watched them since i was a kid um and they get so i mean like any horror franchise you know they have their insane developments but they have their moments too do you know what i don't like about not horror so much as specifically sort of slasher movies is that Jamie Lee Curtis's character is is never safe. Like, I like, I mean, all right, sequels happen, and sometimes that's good. But at the end of a horror movie, you know, if there's a final girl or something, it's, what's her, Laurie Strobe, right? I yeah. want her to be that safe. Good. I don't want her chased by Michael Myers for the next 40 years. It bothers me to have a character be sort of tormented endlessly through worse and worse sequels. There's something about that. Same with the Scream movies with Nev Campbell's character. I'm like, though with them, it's literally a different killer every time. So hmm. I was talking to my friend about this. Like, I would just like jump off a bridge at that point if you're just going to be tormented by an undead. Like, I don't know. Well, in some ways, uh, the the new Halloween reboot, the ha Halloween 2018, uh, which which brought Laurie back, which brought Jamie Lee Curtis back, mm -hmm. and brought John Carpenter back um, in like a producing role. That seems to play on that because that, that ignores all the other sequels and just okay. with the original. Yeah. And it's like 40 years later and it's like dealing with Lori having drama and PTSD and kind of becoming almost uh, a paranoid prepper uh, because of that night and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, culminating and, and, you know, finally a conflict. Um, so, but that's fair. I mean, there's plenty of things to dislike about the slasher movie franchise. Really no shortage of things to dislike about them. But... I mean, I don't know, like, it's it goes back to, like, I hated the Star Wars sequels, and when I heard that the original 
you know, trio of heroes was going to be in it, I hated it because they ended really nicely to me. And there was that expanded universe. Like life is hard enough. Like sometimes I want, I like having my heart broken, you know, via fictional character, but sometimes I want my fictional characters to be safe, you know? Like, and then their lives, you know, were like, they they was up, but they lived out and it was okay. Not like- Let them rest in peace. Let the IPs and the characters, that's fair. Maybe I see uh, many of my favorite long-standing fictional characters always get, you know, rebooted and reiterated because that's how comic book characters are. But with something like Star Wars, it's one singular ongoing storyline. Um, I mean, arguably that did turn into basically a comic. I mean, it's a similar concept, but. But there's, very... but there's still just one Luke. I mean, there's not going to be like an Elseworlds. I mean, maybe, but like yeah. usually that's mostly reserved for superheroes. Um, other characters could do that in practice, but um just let them rest. I, just let them have a nice life. They've paid their dues. No, I very much. It's funny. I I really disliked how they um, dealt with the original three because I thought having them back could be okay if it was in a minor role and it was more happy. That was insane. Uh, their decisions. <laughs> well, I, I, I we're we're going to quickly get derailed on on the Last Jedi though because but we can absolutely agree that like like Leia and Han. We're, we're done dirty. The and three of them were never on yeah. screen together. You go to all that work, that's bananas to I not agree. occur to you. That's very strange. I mean, one of the biggest blunders in movie production history is the the sequels, I, I think, even though I like the second one a decent I, amount. I mean, like, Mark Hamill d- does a phenomenal job, particularly in uh, The Last Jedi and acting. Harrison Ford actually, like, for a couple of years there, he was like asleep at, at work like i feel like he actually tries a little in that first one which i hate uh you know he's he's bringing a little bit bit but like just mm, i hate it so much man um, all roads lead back to star wars that's what we've i tried to talk about horror but lord we, yeah come back to start the star wars i've never been thinking about star wars for like the past several years and suddenly i'm just thinking about this and i'm like god damn it no, I every time those, you think about it, the missed opportunity, it's... I hate those movies because they're two, it's a twofold idea, which is, here are these new characters, and they're even more awesome than the ones you liked. Look, Rey is a lady Jedi, and she's better than everyone. Uh, and, like, look, here's a new uh, Han Solo guy. Here's a new Darth Vader guy. Uh, so let's, let's, yeah. let's move on. Let's even talk in the script about how we're moving on from the old thing. But also, here are your old favorites. But also, they're all fucking dead. They're all fucking dead. You like that? Huh? Nostalgia? Oh, they're fucking dead. It's really weird. It's like a horrible combination of nostalgia bait and just fuck you. Right. That's that's an interesting, actually, distinction um, breakdown. I I, I agree. Especially, I really, what really was the nail in the coffin was how the ninth totally invalidated six and totally invalidated the real thrust of what we were saying earlier is Anakin's insofar as he that per, kind of character could ever be redeemed or at least do anything good nine said it didn't even work yeah. his sacrifice was for in vain God, I hate that. No. so it's a shame and that last movie was such a it was like oh it's kind of voldemort it's harry potter it's it's kind of a ripoff of the avengers and i have such a deeper attachment to star wars characters but like the moment in um avengers endgame when like uh captain america wields thor's hammer 
all you have to do is be vaguely aware that that's a big deal to totally get like that as a moment. Yeah. And everything in that last Star Wars movie was like trying to go there in terms of bigness and none of it worked. Yeah. Oh, I agree. They definitely, there's some weird parallels between Endgame and Rise of Skywalker. Um, like they were copying someone yeah. else's answers in a test, but they didn't actually understand the question. That's a great, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Um, that's, it's a shame. I, I really liked uh, how Endgame wrapped things up and, and I, and I like Star Wars too, but I, f- I feel sorry for the real Star Wars fans out there that, I mean, right? You feel sorry for me. I, don't know. I do feel sorry for you. Yes, <laughs> for for many reasons, <laughs> me, including me Star Wars. <laughs> um, maybe we should complain about other things. I like, know you know, Star Wars, like. Um, but this, you know, what? this is the real talk that listeners slash watchers are signing up for with, with us. It's just, yeah. it's just how it's going to be. You know, if you want oh, to yes. only talk about philosophical quandaries and ethics then you go to the non-servium main podcast for, for whatever is going on with us well here it is but now that i'm my coffee's kicking in i am mad about stuff besides star wars but mm. i don't know how to, <laughs> i don't know how to segue to that right now because i'm still thinking about star wars well i think it's annoying um i don't know which which annoyance should we should we discuss here um the the idea of platforming someone who is like an open sophist like just admits that they treat discourse like a strategy game in order to advance the current transphobic moral panic makes no sense to me it would be weird to platform someone like that okay I, we would never do that on this show. The twist is that you, Corey, are actually oh, responsible no. for a moral panic that's sweeping the nation. Um, no, I, you're not. It's not that it's moral a, panic. That's, that's, <laughs> All right. So what we are cryptically but not alluding to is that Corey pointed this out to me uh, yesterday when we were prepping, you know, our careful preparation for this podcast, um, that Reason Magazine, where I briefly worked, had an interview with Chris uh, Rufo, who is probably the guy responsible for the moral panic about critical race theory. But he's also a staunch, in America, he's also a staunch advocate of uh, trans slash drag queen moral panics. And Reason Magazine, a sort of respectable, serious political magazine, you know, libertarian, whatever that entails some right some left shit um and they they, they it, two two people from it interviewed chris rufo and i have a lot of feelings about that and one of which is i don't think there's anyone on earth that you can say no one should ever interview and that interviewing people absolutely isn't an endorsement i'm very mixed on no platform things um i mean who I see who have I interviewed? I've interviewed Joe Arpaio and Milo Yiannopoulos at the same, it was at the RNC in 2016. Um, I interviewed Ron Paul and a politician, for all that implies. Um, you know, and I, was I endorsing any of those people? Certainly not, no. especially Joe Arpaio, who is truly a monster. But at the same time, there's a right way and a wrong way to interview somebody. And I watched the interview with Rufo, and um, you can chime in about this, but 
What I saw was almost a naivete on Reason's part because they were talking, they were trying to talk about education policy, you know? So they, they were very mixed on like, they want school choice, but you know, Nick Gillespie also had a, a thing about, you know, abolishing mandatory schooling, like, and how that would be cool sort of. So again, there's like a mixed freedom leaning philosophy there, but they're talking to Rufo who is unbelievably obnoxious and domineering of the entire conversation, by the way, they're talking to him like he is, intellectually honest like he want all he wants to do is talk about education policy and to some extent you have to take your interview subjects seriously like one of my favorite writers john ronson you know had a whole book about that where he interviews you know people like david ike like okay so reptilian aliens are taking over and maybe we've had too much of that in the last few years but you also there's no point in smirking at your interview subject and and, and not letting them say a thing so like it's not an endorsement of rufo that reason was doing but it's still not a good interview i guess is what it comes down to for me i i completely agree that an interview does not uh entail endorsement a platform does not entail endorsement um and i think there's a lot of salient ways to go wrong with no platformism but also i i, I think there's uh, a lot of value in general to recognizing that when certain individuals are not interested in good faith discourse and when they've been open about that in the past, you don't have to look hard to find that from uh, this guy. So uh, it, it makes it strange to then attempt a remotely sympathetic interview um, rather than, than something more challenging um, and, and something that doesn't just, you know, lead your re your readers and your listeners and your viewers to become sympathetic fans and now go follow that person i thought a great and i don't know if did you watch the john stewart's interview on with uh the attorney general in arkansas i can't remember a, what a woman pushing crack down on uh, oh no on, you know what i meant to i think i thought that I was a good example i have a lot of qualms with john stewart but that interview was going around and i actually sat down and watched it and I thought it was a really well done job. He let her speak. He let her mm -hmm. say everything, but he also pushed back hard um, and, and wasn't this kind of empty formalistic thing and, and certainly didn't treat her as like uh, an authority um, on really anything, let alone a moral authority or authority on these issues. And it was really good at, to me showing how she had no idea what she was talking about and what she was doing was awful. And he told her right to her face, what you're, I completely disagree with what you're doing and I hope you stop. Um, to me, that's very commendable mm -hmm. and it would be better. What's weird is that I really thought that Gillespie in particular was better at interviewing than this. And the, the format was a streaming thing. So there was more crosstalk than there would have been, but they were also crosstalking because Rufo is thought it was his interview basically and kept trying to take over. Um, to, me, it's, to me, it's absurd that to treat it like Chris Rufo's issue is educational policy. Right. Now, that is downstream of his issue and, and, and any surface level transparent agreement is completely accidental and unconnected based on the root issue of what Christopher Fo is about and what he pushes. That's what's so kind of annoying to me. It's like it's just it's it's it reeks of like of, of trying to get a big name person on and like digging and digging for some sort of common area to agree on uh, to out in terms of outwardly facing uh, so I, I don't understand that.
Yeah, and even the tweets um, that were linking to it were very like, oh, is this good or bad? You know, which I might forgive a little bit if the interview had been really deft, and it wasn't. Um, yeah, uh, they were I hard know. on him than, than Gillespie was on Abigail Schreier. And Abigail Schreier, I, um, I, I also watched the interview with, with Gillespie, and, and Schreier wrote that um, moral panicky book about girls, I'm doing quotes, um, turning into boys, you know, like, poor little girls led astray, they got trans. Yeah. Um, and Gillespie's interview with her was like, I get why she fools people who are stupider than he is. Because she seems very, very friendly and very, you know, concerned and not a total moron. So, like, I get why she fools people who really haven't thought about this. But people I think I know are better than this being fooled is very strange. And I don't know if it's deliberate or not. Or are they never hiring me again? Oh, well, I don't care. Yes, I do. No, it's fine. Um, but the important thing is, okay, well, so with Rufo... Another weird detail about him is that he will tweet almost a look behind the curtain where he will suggest that people use a different word. I forget what it was about, like something about like, don't say drag queen, say like trans stripper, something really stupid where it's like, find something that sounds sexualized and also like scarier. And, and he's tweeted like, we've, you know, we've, we've successfully tied critical race theory to like the worst definition of it the worst association so he's he's almost showing off about the artificiality of it there was not a single question yeah. on the reason interview that that has like a meta like okay you're telling us this is this an artificial panic like do you sincerely believe that this is a problem like what does it suggest that you're sort of puppeteering it i mean yeah there was nothing probing about that. It was purely, you education man, how do you feel about education? It was naive, it's the, it's, that's the word for it. It's bizarre. I think that's the problem with, with where uh, you pl platform certain people and views and lends an implicit legitimacy to them in the realm of discourse. And if you're not going to challenge and push back on that hard and in a well-informed, challenging, uh, clear manner, then I feel like the whole platforming thing is completely backfiring, uh, and, mm -hmm. and and is is being used to advance uh, the other person's agenda beyond having a good faith discussion. Um, I mean, and I feel like everyone has a line, right? Like the way we talk about a lot of free speech or not really even free speech issues about oh cancellation and no one wants discourse, and it's like well. Everybody has a line somewhere. Even like the crankiest conservative who's mad about PC culture probably doesn't yell ethnic slurs, you know, in public regularly. Um, like someone has a line of like of of you know taste or decorum or or you know, like we all have a line somewhere. The quite like we're debating where it is, where it generally should be for public whatever that means and where it is personally for us and it's literally fine if it's in different places and that's sort of a, a weird distraction i guess but i get I, I get i'm trying to think how i was trying to get to, interviewing somebody most people don't interview david duke now in a particular book like the john ronson one i love 
he hangs out with some bona fide racist people. And it's this really cool atmospheric thing. It's a great book. It was a better book because there weren't as many books like that back then, I think. And some people are against doing that ever. And I can understand that. But in most contexts, particularly like a CBS-esque news context, like, so what's being a racist like, you know? Tell us about being racist. Most people don't do that because they don't bother. So again, there's a line somewhere to somebody. Yeah. And Rufo is a newsworthy person, if nothing else. Sure. But I don't know, you know? But that doesn't necessarily mean a sympathetic interview. That could mean a lot of things. I don't even think they meant to be as sympathetic as they kind of came off. But I don't, more sympathetic I think, than they should be, definitely. I think, I th- I think uh, people, uh, especially in the journalism sphere, can underrate the implicit legitimacy they lend to people, when, even when they are innocently pursuing a good faith discourse themselves and genuinely don't endorse that person or everything they've ever said or done. Um, and, 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 and that can still be the case, even if they're implicitly, uh, 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 lending support, uh, legitimacy to this, like as something to be debated or someone to be like argued with as if they haven't, um, like you said, been upfront about the artificiality of their, of their attempts. Um, so, uh, it's a shame, I guess. Um, but something to learn from, I suppose, and, and nothing beyond, uh, you know, libertarianism is a mixed world. Uh, I, I mean, uh, you know, I myself, I, for C4SS, for Mutual Exchange Radio, interviewed Elizabeth Brown uh, last mm-hmm. month. And, and I like a lot of Liz's articles and work um, and, and um, enjoyed interviewing her. But And I uh, talked to Jesse Walker on uh, the non-Serbian yeah, that was fun. podcast. And... Jesse is legit. And really relevant because it is a conspiracy theory. What Chris Rufo is engaged in is conspiracy. If only Jesse Walker had interviewed Chris (laughs) Rufo and like. God, that, yeah. Yeah. That's not really his, um, the kind of thing he does. And then maybe that's fine. But yeah, if he, if he did, that would have been something to, to watch, I think. (sighs) Stupid. Was there anything else on the, on the checklist? I know there was a, uh, an LP thing. Oh yeah, more like there's something there's something I can't can't let go about libertarian as a self ID that there have been many shenanigans in the Libertarian Party, which technically I was a dues paying member for about a year, whereas I've self ID'd as a libertarian since I was like thirteen. So that's not a lot of time in there. I have no interest in electoral politics. But there was the whole sort of takeover, as they say, from the Mises caucus and ostensibly anti-war, but at the end of the day, very paleo-libertarian slash even paleo-conservative, I would say. And a lot of their, even the National Party account uh, tweets have been, I would say, purposefully alienating and edgelording people who they seem to assume we'll never be interested in libertarianism. And those people include women, trans people. <laughs> um, I mean, there's there's a yeah. guy who's perpetually running for libertarian office who has basically been like, Peter Thiel's right about the 19th Amendment was a mistake. And only, pro- did he actually say only property owning white males should vote? He might have said only property owning males of a certain thing. But you know what? That's not good either. 
And they're dabbling with this in a way that it's already been done for one thing in the nineties, you know, buddying up with what is now, well, I mean, whatever right wing is, I don't even know anymore, but just like, like that Alliance has already, they've already tried that and it didn't work. And it made libertarianism look far right and creepy, which I'm starting to worry it might be. <laughs> and I didn't want it to be. I really didn't. Because I'm not far right and creepy, darn it. Well, I mean, uh, I don't even, I mean, electoral politics, not interested in. I don't even know if movement politics are uh, worth it, I guess. Like, um, libertarianism has always had this problem. Every political ideology has nonsense and mm -hmm. gets, I mean, it doesn't, it's not just libertarianism. It, I mean, everyone has its own unique failure modes. And we, we're, we often discuss that with libertarianism because it's close to us. Um, and it's unfortunate. It doesn't mean the term doesn't come anything useful depending on the context. And it doesn't mean a lot of ideas or thinkers or books that get labeled under the libertarian title aren't useful or I don't agree with. Um, but it does mean that movement politics are unwieldy. I mean, all you can do is speak for yourself and, and associate with who, who you think is worth associating with. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I've lost all, you know, and it's not necessarily a cynical thing. I just don't think, I don't think movement politics, I mean, I don't, I don't, what is the end goal of like a, of a libertarian movement? If it's, like earlier, we were talking about withdrawing from the state. Uh, yeah, I think that's great. That, that doesn't always have to be explicitly libertarian in name or ideological. Um, although those ideas inform that strategy, I think, well. So um, I, I, I think it's a shame. But what did you want to talk about the specific uh, stand that the LP is, is taking, which is so weird and alienating and stupid? Well, I think part of the thing is that they're bad at tweeting they're bad at communicating uh -huh. <laughs> but also they're delighting when they get rage clicks because that's how the internet works now yeah. but the 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 most recent thing that 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 troubled me was the lp national tweeting yesterday afternoon china and russia can't tax you conscript you seize your wealth or throw you in a cage for a non-violent offense know who your real enemy is and I've never been one for the word solidarity, but my God, what a lack of solidarity with people who suffer yeah. under authoritarian regimes that are in America. Yeah. The tweet only applies if you don't <laughs> live in those countries and in a very bare way. I mean, and at that point, what is, what is the tweet saying? I mean, it's, it's a, only America matters. Only America right. is real. If you attribute every single protest movement to cia american manipulation you're still saying only america is real obviously the cia exists obviously the cia gets in all manner of shit probably in the middle of certain movements but you know in iran say do we really think those people don't aren't sincerely pissed at their regime the woman who was killed who who kind of kicked off the protest there was wearing a hijab, as far as I know. She wasn't wearing a hijab to the satisfaction of the morality police. 
But she, unfortunately, was a phenomenal, you know, kickstart to this because even, I think, moderate people in Iran are like, she was wearing her hijab, you know? Um, like, this is a very sincere feeling. And yeah, maybe the CIA is running around there. There are people, you know, John Bolton style who have been dreaming of invading Iran for decades. I know this. And the LP knows this. But how about a respect for human freedom and the desire for freedom that, that, you know exists in, in in you know in you tweeting this conceivably i mean yeah it's it's the most basic cowardly ron paul in a pejorative sense sort of like if we say anything critical about a foreign country it means we want to invade it no be real about it those are authoritarian regimes and people in those regimes could be reading the tweet right now because there's you know there's ways to get around the internet blocking stuff in china and russia just what a lack of respect. One thing I loved about Students for Liberty, the libertarian student group, the reason I know you, the reason I know uh, half of the non-Serbian people who are at every meeting, all about Students for Liberty, I have to admit it to our lovely watchers. Um, they have a bunch, they, 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 they hit upon a slogan. Also, I accidentally stole your shirt that says this too, because you gave it to me to hold that put it in my purse. And that's why I now have three shirts that say, don't tread on anyone. What a phenomenal slogan that has substance to it. What a great upgrade of the truly solid Gadsden flag that says, don't tread on me. It's, it's perfect. I love it so much. I've always loved that slogan. Um, Big, big fan of, of that slogan and its centrality to, to students for liberty. Um, and I, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I think, I mean, I think on the one hand, I do think it's uh, vitally important uh, and, and obligatory to oppose uh, the United States government using its intelligence agencies or uh, military to go and regime change. Mm -hmm. We know that that is not going to work out um, and will hurt the people it's intending to help nominally uh, more than it helps. But it's just as morally obligatory to not let that slip into just defending regimes that are existing and opposing them, um, opposing challenges to those regimes. I mean, that is an, that is an absurd fall in terms of... Um, it's not at all implied by opposing American directed regime change and thinking that sending in American uh, operations make and bombing people or, or things like that makes things better. But that slips into just viewing, well, everything that's negative about these regimes is actually American propaganda. No, it's just that all, all I mean, all the regimes are terrible and in, in unique ways. Or even that it doesn't matter to even think about a foreign country's problems is to somehow lead to a U.S. intervention there. And it's a, the paleo right. attitude, you know, the miserly stay-at-home attitude, the one that says travel isn't a human right, the one that says immigrants are bad. You know, it's, yeah, it's technically anti-interventionist in a way that is a bad foundation because it's not really about peace enough for those people and it's certainly not about individual rights enough for those people it's no i agree it's 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 about nationalism for, for many and about you know mere prudence uh um of in terms of the well-being of your own nation or community 
Um, and as opposed to the universalism of like that phrase, don't tread on anyone. And it's vitally important to not let that phrase or that universalistic philosophy lend support, which people do use it to, to support, um, you know, going in militarily and, and, and bombing and trying to force a regime change or some sort of counterproductive effort like that. Um, so, so it's, it's, it can be hard to navigate, I think, and different ideas get used to lend support for other ideas. And then people dislike the conclusions. So then they dismiss the, the foundations or the arguments they've heard, but the universalism and don't tread on anyone implies straightforwardly that, that everyone has rights, um, that the American government going in and violating them through bombing isn't justified, but neither is their own local regime oppressing them justified. I mean, it's not that complicated. And I know like, it's not as complicated as people are act, act tend to act like it is in, in most cases. To condemn a dictator in, you know, you and I talking or any random person tweeting, even a national party like that tweeting because it's a relatively powerless party. You can say it clearly that those, you know, like any authoritarian regime is bad and is the enemy of freedom. Yeah. And that people in any place that are victimized by government, like that's bad. You can yeah. say it. Stop being so yeah. terrified and reactionary about it. And it's and it's very selective because I, I, I see these people make plenty of criticisms, often totally, totally fine criticisms of, say, the Ukrainian government. Mm-hmm. Um, but that but they're doing that just because that's counter to what they see as this American narrative um, instead of just like consistently opposing government. It's just a re- it's an opposite. You know, uh, yeah, it's a well, it's you know, I, I believe in radical ideas, but I don't believe in them because it's contrary to what's popular. I mean, right. If they were popular, they would be right. Uh, so, but it's so easy to slip into that, I think, and then it just, to- you know, is like toxic. It kind of deludes your whole your whole thinking now. Um, and I've seen it happen with absolutely who hasn't kind of just seeping into um, the different facets, and 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 so and so you just end up though being a mouthpiece for for. For a different narrative, maybe there are some of them are okay with that. So one of my objections to what I saw as the left back in the day, or a social anarchist type of movements, and I still have an inkling of of this feeling, is that they, I saw them putting the state and corporations and almost everything on the same level of bad, in a way that. And I still think that the the worst power comes from the state because the state endorses corporate power or it excuses it. Like a lot, like most things, it is the worst example of a bad thing. But a lot of people that I once thought were on my side aren't really anti-authority. They're just anti-federal authority or authority they don't like. Yeah genuinely a lot of these people want localized tyranny that's why hans Hermann hoppe is so fucking inexplicably popular or you know authoritarian religious thought or the you know the same people that correctly say the state doesn't own my kids absolutely you're right it doesn't i own my kids hold on a sec yeah yeah they've not devoted to anti-authority like, I'm not, you know, knee-jerk, like, pa- good parents are okay. It's okay to be 
in charge of kids. Kids are, their brains are still growing. Like there's a certain amount, but it's a stewardship with obligations the way it is to pets in the sense, but pets, it's a permanent, you know, stewardship. And with children, it goes away. And there is more people in this world than I ever realized, because I was not, I was blessed to be not raised with religion. There are people who think their job is to break the will of children, to mold them into obeying, and maybe not obeying the federal government, but obeying their church, or their conservative values, or their parents, or people who are older. Yeah. And it's not the same value that I, it's not what I thought it was. It's not, it's not an, indi it's not individualistic in the way that I thought, I thought we were doing. And apparently we're not doing that. We're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the phrase. I'm, I, I was blessed to be raised. That <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I and and you and you thought we weren't going to get into any of these uh, philosophical, ethical, uh, but the issues uh, of happens, uh, children's rights and and what that stewardship um, permits that's that's tough. Um, it's a big one. But, it's an interesting one. But yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that like I, this is what I was saying before about agreeing on you know maybe some downstream conclusions on okay you know oppose American empire. Okay, great. Well, why? And disagreeing up those upstream foundational things. And then now there's more and more issues where those foundational issues are leading astray. And there's more sophistication and nuance than just just opposing American empire in this case. What about Russian empire? Um, and so everyone's, I don't know, everyone's bullshit detector has been, been fuzzy. And so... It's gotten it's very worse, unfortunate. it feels like. At least among people I know and like i will not to fully throw anyone under the bus but yeah i just people got have gotten more confused not less or at least yeah that's true know. i'm definitely more confused than i am this, this i'm podcast, this friendship this life <laughs> I'm more confused now for sure i i'm just confused by the fact that i have very definite you know philosophical political beliefs I'm not confused about what I believe, but I think I'm confused about what everyone else is doing, even more than I used to be. <laughs> so, yeah. Except you, I'm pretty like you're fine. You're fine. Keep it up. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> I, I I try not to be too confusing. Um, and I th something about the Trump era made everyone insane. You know, the monkey's paw. To me, it was a monkey's paw thing where it was like, oh, you want you you hate politicians. You want someone to basically make political power look stupid? Well, guess what we have for you? This yeah. fucking idiot, narcissist weirdo. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think there's, be... a, there's a big this... difference between losing trust on an individual and a social level in uh, various institutions and that not being replaced by trust in different institutions, um, yeah. maybe have to be built or created or brought into existence some way. But nevertheless, there, you know, uh, I'm not sure what can be gained by merely negation, by merely cynicism and having no vision or, or even principled, you know, uh, uh, sort of um, approach to 
alternative institutions. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to distrust the current ones. I'm just going to reactively um, take whatever side uh, is deemed contrarian um, by the populace at large. Um, that's where does that go? What does it do? I mean, and it comes like it, it, it affects everything in a way that like medical, like there's a long history of medical shenanigans, unethical things. Science isn't perfect. I do strongly, I feel like I know that my turmeric pills help all of my orthopedic problems and my burgeoning carpal tunnel, even though there's not enough scientific studies to prove that that actually is anti-inflammatory. Like natural medicine exists, medical establishments can be very bad. But again, it's the, I only believe in natural medicine and I don't believe anything the medical community tells me. It's not, it's not even thinking at that point. It's, it's, it's a pure reaction. And I, I have to remind myself have to have sympathy for people who are afraid. I know, I know someone who was raised on the border with Israel coming from a non-Jewish community who became more and more conspiracy minded. And he, he's very distressed by these conspiracies and he believes them. And he grew up having, you know, a nearby army take, you know, pot shots at his family or yeah. rubber bullets, at least some of the time. But like, like he was raised being lied to and being oppressed. And I can't be like, well, sometimes you're not being lied to. I mean, it's, I think most, a lot of these people, especially the powerless, they're not faking it. They're distressed and they're paranoid and they're confused, even when they're, you know, decisive about it and confident sounding. And it's so sad. I absolutely think conspiracists, the the genuine conspiracists, the people you know, not the people writing the books or on the television shows. I think they are often grifters and opportunists and profiteers. Mm -hmm. And that's what the genuine conspiracists don't see, that they're being taken in by alternative profiteers and grifters, not avoiding scams altogether but those right. genuine conspiracists are genuine and they believe why why would they do these things that they don't believe why would they alienate their friends and family and sometimes jobs and sometimes you know why no i think they're living in paranoid stress and i think it's very sad and it is difficult to avoid like i said pure negation pure contrarianism while uh, being able to understand where it's coming from because like you said uh, it's obvious why those things exist and why they're compelling, why pure negation is compelling to people who are powerless. Um, and it's difficult to, to, to talk through that, I think, with people. I mean, even in some cases, and I'm going to be, you know, I'm not, I'm obviously less sympathetic to racists and other bigots, but that, that stuff's a conspiracy as well. I think a lot of people, you know, they think they've unlocked something and it, you know, everything else falls into place. X group, you know, are bad and then they're the cause of the problems. Now I understand, you know, now I get how it works. Yeah, and, I, think it's, I, think, I think it's impossible to understand movements like Nazism and fascism without understanding them as a kind of conspiracy movement, ultimately. Oh, sure, yeah. And it, bind, it bounds together racism and bigotry with lots of other social critiques and, and, and strands of contrarianism. And 
I both think that people want to be free and there's an instinct towards freedom and there's an instinct towards collectivism, collective blame, collective movements. And both of us, there are two wolves within us and they're, you know, it's the collectivist wolf and the individualist wolf and they are fighting. So I don't know how to resolve that, I guess. Well, I think sometimes it's, I think sometimes it's, I mean, the dichotomy you were saying, don't tread on me versus don't tread on anyone. It's easier Mm -hmm. to stand up for freedom when it's your freedom. It's easier to see it, to see when it's violated, when it's your freedom. It's harder to see it when it's, um, I know it's not impossible. And, and um, I don't think, and I don't, and I think people are responsible when they, blind themselves to violations of other people's freedom uh but it's easier to see your own and then to value your own and to get caught in that sort of mindset i suppose um like what you know some old person says when you have your first job and see how much they take from taxes then you'll understand which is annoying but there's something to that you know and yeah i i mean there's there's an empathy act like Empathy, our empathy centers are atrophied and weak. I think most humans could be a lot more robust in their empathy and things like nationalism and, and, and tribalism of any kind. And again, there's an inkling, there's a human inkling to be scared of the, and suspicious of the outsider, but I'm not a biological determinist. That's fucking stupid. And there's also an inkling to be kind and good and trade and exchange and talk and stuff. So again, there's this fight going on, but these institutions like statism make that so much worse than it would be because we're on this team and you're on that team. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I mean, I think, I think both inclinations are there. I think it's silly to, to reduce us to one or the other. And it's silly to ignore how those inclinations are developed or cultivated or strengthened or the alternative or weakened by our surroundings, by institutions, by, um, environment um and the way they're channeled because what would the conspiracists say well they wouldn't say they deny empathy right they have empathy for imagined victims in many ways <laughs> sometimes uh, real ones mixed in with yeah well very much to give those conspir- often a grain of truth there too that which is what people hook on to and then extrapolate wildly from um uh, so so you know it's sort of like the empathy needs to be redirected or or checked uh, against reality in some way. Um, uh. Yeah, that's the problem too. Like I was thinking of the deep state again, and the deep state is real, but the way it's talked about. Yeah, like what, is, is, what do people mean by that phrase? And it's the, the way it's talked about is not real by by most people. And the way it's, you know, increased as this figure and like, well, you know, Q will bring it down, whatever the fuck that is all about and stuff. Yeah, it's a shame that, that, that you know, anti-CIA sentiment or anti-FBI sentiment is like now sometimes hijacked and associated with conspiracists or right-wing mm-hmm. uh, extremists or whatever, um, when those are good sentiments. Um, and you and have historically, though, more been on the left uh, and still are, uh, but, but nevertheless um, being hijacked in a conspiracist narrative where those things are merely tools of a cabal and mainstream democrats now just you know hug the fbi there there's you've never done anything bad in your life you're perfect yeah yeah it's caused all of the non-contrarians to reactively cling to institutions which we do know are terrible in many ways and could be changed it's not always terrible in the way that the conspiracists think not usually 
I, I wish somebody who remembers the 90s as an adult could speak to this better, but my sense of what, you know, the, the right right now, hating the feds or saying they do or thinking they do, but, you know, but that guy wanted to defund the police. It's a very 90s thing. It's a very sort of coming out of Randy Weaver slash Timothy McVeigh, not to equate those two people, um, sort of movements where where it's this very inconsistent principle thing, this 90s cons- paranoid conservative yeah. thing. And I feel like that's sort of back, you yeah. know, in the way pale, the paleo stuff. I don't ever know. Like you I- said, I mean, it's that dissonance of the national authority I'm against, but my local sheriff is on my side. <laughs> Or he's somehow okay in some way, or he's not in on it, whatever it is. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I find that in some ways that's harder for me to to counter than like neocon stuff. You know, I'm getting nostalgic for being a Bush hating teen. It was also simple back then. But like, I would say that neocons use more language of, of libertarian moderates and they, they co-opt that in some ways farther right people almost co-opt more radical, more left language in some ways. There's the, I mean, there's the horrible horseshoe theory thing going on where, you know, supposed leftists and like Tucker Carlson are now on the same side quasi and they're sometimes using word, you know, they're, they're, there's there's truth mixed in there about the FBI being terrible and certain things. And then it's contaminated by racism, xenophobia, transphobia stuff. And I want, you know, I want anti-government people to be really anti-government and to be on my side. But obviously there's a whole contingent, a bigger contingent probably who isn't. And, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's just so much easier. And this is everywhere. And horseshoe theory, I think, has uh, some truths, but but sometimes oversimplifies. Sure. Um, but it's much easier, especially in a specific historical moment to be anti X government, not anti government as a rule. And and radical movements on left and right and revolutions have always been able to achieve anti-specific historical government for whatever reason, for and for often rightful reasons because of their evils. But then they go and implement uh, some other government that's right. terrible in different ways, um, or at least have no vision of alternative institutions um, that could that could realize some some universal values. Um, it's just anti this one embodied villain that i think that we just need to need to topple and replace with someone on my side right and that's it it always it always goes back to that yeah and that's almost like a mainstream democrat idea well i don't like him so i want him but you know when the guy i don't like or sorry when the guy i like is using all of his powers in every way and sometimes as we said before with like you know obama and the dreamers like that can be for a good thing but it's complete naivete and this like, surely someone I hate will never be in charge. So let's make the federal government as big as possible. This will never backfire. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, it almost always is for everyone is, well, I want my guy at the top. Yeah. And yeah, there could be a worse guy or a less worse guy. 
but that's still not a solution. It's a, you know, it's, it's a very small bandaid on a very gaping fatal yeah. wound. Yeah. And, 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 and it's all, I think uh, you can, you, you, people often inspired by and point to concrete successes of revolutions and history um, that are able to topple specific governments, but are not able to uh, install any universalist uh, replacement. It's whether it's uh, revolutionaries in uh, colonial America um, or Bolsheviks, some, you know, some of them like Lenin were even, you know, looked fondly on the American revolutionaries and their ability to topple the, the British government. Sure. Um, uh, and this is why you get stuff too, like you talk about horseshoe theory with Rothbard praising Che because he was revolutionary. The first he, Rothbard out of five or six Rothbards. All named <laughs> Murray, but very different people. <laughs> um, and that kind of strangeness I think, I mean, that's very indicative of the current environment of people who fairly Rothbardian on various things for good or bad, uh, who just end up apologizing for the, uh, any non-American regime or any regime caught up in a geopolitical conflict with America, um, instead of just opposing them all, uh, and, and understanding the unique ways in which they're bad. Um, and Rothbard was really bad on that. Um, he was good at opposing the American empire, but led him astray, uh, into these, apologetics a very what i associate with tankies of him again again not everything's a horseshoe but some things definitely are yeah yeah and, and i always go back to again this is from a libertarian foundation not to alienate our people watching who have never been involved in that but that's where we're coming from here um i remember an essay about the question of whether a racist can be a libertarian and um, and the answer was kind of, but it's a really bad foundation. And I think that's sort of true in that. And thankfully, there are plenty of cowardly, nonviolent racists out there, you know, obviously, like ones who don't want to do anything about it or even reveal it that much. I mean, that that's a, that bleeds into other stuff. It's not a good thing, but. Not every racist or even fascist or Nazi is actually doing much about it, which let's keep that up, boys. But yeah. it's a bad foundation because it's it's a rot it's a rotten floorboard, you know, and then you fall in then you fall easily into authoritarianism. Well, I don't not... even think it, it can be a foundation for it. It's cause because it is just don't tread on me. It's right. it's negation, it's against ex government. It's not don't tread on anyone. Um there's a Martin Bailey in those discussions. I remember those discussions. People would redefine libertarianism as like from like these are like an abstract set of ideas about freedom, which everyone deserves, versus like in your own life, like what activities are you involved in, and do they break my version of the non-aggression principle? And if they don't, well, you're a libertarian. This is how people were saying Nazis could be libertarians if they, in practice, don't break the. It's like right but their ideology is nazism isn't that what we were right. talking about the ideology right. um so that's what's so annoying about the discussions like it's it's uh, plenty of people go around living peaceful lives um that doesn't mean they all believe in libertarian ideas as we're talking about right. that term yeah i mean i'm being too broad here i guess i mean some of it comes back to my dislike of dehumanizing racists in part because i love a good redemption story and they have happened and also because I have just a t enough of a touch of a 
you know, right winger from the nineties to be upset about Ruby Ridge and having read a whole book about it that is really thorough. I can say that that family was super racist and had a terrible warped racist Christianity. And they were very like, like just kind of a mess. But you know what didn't help is killing half of them. And you know, like that didn't that didn't help. Don't do that. I don't. I so think I, mean, I would say it's not like I guess it's not like, and that's why the Weavers were libertarians or right. anarchists. It's that they were kind of not doing anything except associating with other people with bad ideas. Yeah. In a way that, or at least on the family level, it's the Feds who came in and and brought the violence. Yeah. And I need like a dose of you have to think of people who are unsympathetic in certain ways, and you have to not fall into a trap of saying it's okay to commit violence on them. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm compl- I mean, I, I've excised from my vocabulary uh, describing things that people did or do as inhuman mm-hmm. because it's, it's it's literally not accurate. And so I agree with you. We shouldn't dehumanize racists. We shouldn't dehumanize any humans. I don't care who it is. It's, it's one, not accurate, because it's it's concealing the fact that, well, humans do these things and are capable of these things. And it's also, like you said, it makes it much easier to dehumanize people uh, mm-hmm. once you start dehumanizing one person. I mean, now, it doesn't mean you can't staunchly, principally oppose their ideas. It doesn't mean you can't engage in self-defensive violence against uh, people who have these ideas, of which there are many cases of which. And, and I think you know, these are racism and sexism are still institutions that dominate our lives and require resistance. Um, I don't think uh, dehumanizing uh, individuals gets gets us anywhere in that. Um, I definitely called Joe Arpaio a racist at the beginning of the. I'm sorry, a monster at the beginning of this. And as I did it, I was like, I used to not say things like that for exactly the reason you just <laughs> said. It's almost a cop out for people who do bad. So he did. He does monstrous things. He did evil. Yeah. I mean, monster. I guess people can be monsters. I mean, again, you're, yeah. yeah, that's a whole other road. I don't like, know if that's... What uh, is a monster, a metaphorical, <laughs> since they don't exist, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it lets them off the hook. And there, I mean, there are reasons why. Like, I love the movie Downfall, um, because it doesn't make you sympathize with Hitler, but it humanizes him in the sense that... What they, movie? The movie Downfall, it's about the last days of of Hitler. It's a German movie. Okay, okay. And the actor who plays Hitler is so fucking good. It's, he's amazing. Um, Is that what that uh, meme is from that I see? Yes, yes. (laughs) But I've never (laughs) seen the movie. Yeah. And the movie is so good that that meme, like, I don't even think about that meme if I watch it. Um, But it really, it makes you see Hitler as a human. And that's really spooky. Because yeah. you're like, yeah, yeah, it's spooky. <laughs> sure it is. was. Look at him petting his dog and smiling at his secretary. You know, like weird shit like that. Well, and then look at. Yeah. I didn't. I was. Isn't that almost the opposite? It's a cartoony story. Like it's not. I mean. Yeah.
Okay, so I really kind of want to keep talking to Corey forever, but technically this was supposed to be called the Anti-Power Hour. Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) And we're anarchists, so we don't actually have to obey the title of our own show. That's true. However, I am hungry and should probably go outside and things like that. Corey's already outside, so he's ahead of the game. But, um, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Wow. What a fucking... What a a subversive... Very contrarian right here. Yeah. Um, But I feel like this was a meandering success. And I feel like... (laughs) We're going to do it again, turns out. Let's do it again. I mean, I had thought we would aim for kind of like a monthly thing which i don't think is that tall of an order um no and maybe we'll be a little more we started like we started with batman and ended with hitler but that sounds about right actually yeah that's fine next time we'll start with hitler and end with conversation for me oh that's talk about subversive (laughs) that's usually the way i go actually so this was the this was the weird one um i don't know Corey. do you want to plug yourself or your writings or oh, another yeah. thing um yeah everyone can follow me on twitter Corey massimino or google my name you can find my writings across various sites there and, and i and i've been hosting um the c4ss podcast sometimes mutual exchange radio so that's been fun if you want to look that up and we do love c4ss they, they are our friends yes and we C4SS. love non-servium <laughs> The love is mutual. The love. Mutual. (laughs) Appropriate. Um, And yeah, remember to follow Non-Servium on Twitter. Yeah, and yourself. Non-Servium Media on on all one word. And I'm Lucy Stagg, L-U-C-Y-S-T-A-G. You don't even, you sound like you don't want anyone to follow you. The way you're. No, no, don't look at me. (laughs) No, Lucy's a pretty good follow. She's okay. Yeah, it's true. I am. Corey's all right. Sometimes he, his words get a little too fancy for me, but that's all right. Usually I get the gist. Too academic. All right, let's wrap this up. Dang it. This has been the Lucy and Corey Anti-Power Hour. Half. Goodbye. And Thanks for uh, watching slash listening. Yeah. See, See you next time. time.